And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. <laughs> I have, now, have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. And Balaam went with him, and they came unto Kirjath uh, Hazoth. And Balak offered oxen and sheep unto Balaam, and, or excuse me, and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. And it came to pass in the morning, in the, on the morrow, that Balak took Balaam and brought him up on the high places of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost of the people. Verse 1 of chapter 23. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had Spoken and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. Let's just stop there for a second, all right? Balak is the king of Moab, all right? Balak is the king of Moab, all right? Balaam is the prophet, okay? He's really a false prophet, but God's going to use him in an unusual way. Uh, he is a soothsayer. Uh, Moses calls him that in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, but I just want, we keep saying these words and these people's names. I just want to make sure you know who we're talking about. Balak, Balaam, they sound a lot alike, uh, but they're not related. Um, Verse number three, Balaam said unto Balak, stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go peradventure. The Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went into a high place. God met Balaam and said unto him, I have prepared seven altars and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, thus shalt thou speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Arnon, or Aram, out of the mountains of the east. Uh, remember where Aram was. Aram was uh, over in the country of the Syrians. Uh, that's where Abraham used to be from and where the land of Mesopotamia, where the original uh, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden was at. And uh, that's where, um, that's also where um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came from. Uh, so, so there's a great mighty, there's a great knowledge, if you will, of God in that area uh, and of the Lord in that area. And Balaam, as we've talked about, had a knowledge of God, but he did not know God. All right, there's a big difference. Amen. There's a difference between having a knowledge of God, of knowing about God. He knew about God. He knew enough to talk to God and God to talk to him, but he did not know God. You say, how do you know that? Because he loved money more than he loved God. That's why. He loved money. He was covetous. That would be his downfall. We'll see as we continue on. But the Bible says for us in uh, verse number 8, he says, uh, or 7, he says, Come curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Verse number 9, For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. How can thou count the, how can you count the dust of Jacob, and number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. Behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. He answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? 
Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me to another place, from thence thou mayest see them. And thou shalt but see that the utmost part of them, and shalt not see them all, and curse them from curse me them from hence. Take your Bibles over to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 19. And I want to take you over there to Proverbs 19. I'm going to show you a couple of things we want to address. Probably a question that's in your mind, at least it was a question in my mind, before we get into this here tonight. Proverbs 19 and verse number 21. And before we do that, let's pray, and then we'll look here at this message. Father, we're thankful for the Word, and we pray that, Father, we'll obey it, heed it, listen to it, be encouraged by it, Father, tonight. I think there's a lot of encouragement here in the Word here, and even in this prophecy of Balaam. uh, We have a great encouragement for us that are saved, that are the children of God that are of the Lord, and uh, we're thankful that even the, uh, the powerful soothsayers and the uh, magicians and uh, the devil worshipers and, the, and uh, the world that is around us, Lord, cannot hurt us. Uh, they cannot defy us. They cannot curse us, God, uh, because, Lord, uh, we are on your side. We're on your side, God. We're thankful for it. We ask that you please would us give you add the blessings to your word tonight. Helps look to you and honor you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we consider the four prophecies of Balaam, I'd like you to just go ahead and consider this, and we'll just go ahead and get this question out of our minds, is why would God, or how does God, or why does God use this prophet Balaam? That's always a question that's been in my mind. Why does God use this man? Uh, why, why, how is it that God could speak through this false prophet? Why is it that God would even choose to speak through Balaam, who eventually is going to curse Israel, but not with a curse, but with some actions? Uh, he's going to eventually uh, counsel the king of Moab to send in some uh, seductress women to seduce the young Hebrew men into, uh, into immorality and uh, bring a curse upon them because of the fornication that will happen. But nonetheless, uh, why would God use a covetous soothsayer like Balaam? And uh, I want you to just look here at Proverbs 19 and verse number 21. Uh, This doesn't necessarily answer that question. But I just want you to see this because why did Balaam go to Balak? He went there to curse the people of Israel. That is his motive. That is his purpose. Now he expresses that he can only say what God tells him to say. All right, and we're going to see that he does. He's only able to speak what God allows him to speak in this four prophecies. But that was not his intent. His intent was to curse the people of God, even though God said to not curse them. He was going to, he went there to purposefully defy the word of God. Now, it should be noted that. There are probably some areas in our life that we're not always quite sure exactly what does God say about that. And we have to do some research and we have to find principles perhaps about uh, things in our life. But there are also many, many hundreds, if you will, of clear commands of God. Clear commands. 
Commands that don't need any explanation. Clear commands that you don't need extra, uh, extra Bible verses. Clear commands where you can just say, right there it is. It's clear. It's obvious. You know, like we said this, mother, this morning, honor thy father and thy mother, right? That's a clear command of God. Thou shalt not kill. Amen? How many likes that command? That's a good command. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Uh, thou shalt not covet. Uh, those are clear commands of God. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Abstain from all appearance of evil. The, be, uh, uh, quench not the spirit. Those are clear commands. Right? Uh, what God expects of us. Um, we're expected, even like he says, uh, in the book of Corinthians, he teaches there uh, that, uh, that we ought to, he says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's a clear command. Uh, we ought to not be unequally yoked with him. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of clear commands in the word of God, all right? And the clear command to Balaam was, don't go and don't curse the people of Israel. But his intentions and his motivation was to do that very thing. Yet Proverbs 19 and verse number 21 teaches us this. Look at it. He says, there are many devices in a man's heart. And there were many devices in Balaam's heart. He wanted to do a lot of things. He wanted to curse the nation of Israel in order that he might get richly paid and be richly honored. So there are a lot of devices in a man's heart. But look at verse 21 at the end. Nevertheless, what will stand? The counsel of the Lord shall, that shall stand. God's counsel stands. Amen. See, Balaam wanted to curse, but God put a blessing. And what stood? The curse or the blessing? His motivation or his intentions or God's word? God's word is what stood. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter number 21 and verse number 30. Proverbs 21 and verse number 30. And notice again, a very similar verse. Look what it says. It says, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Praise God. There's no counsel against God. There's no wisdom against God. Listen, the, the, the wises of this world have nothing against God. Have nothing on God. They're not able to go against God. The wisest politicians, the wisest uh, atheistic philosophers, they're not able to go against God. There's no counsel. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. None. Balaam thought that he could go there. Maybe he could perhaps convince the Lord to do what he wanted him to do. He even tells the Lord, Lord, I've offered seven. I've built seven altars for you. And we've offered a ram and a bullock on each one of those. God says, now you'll speak the word that I say to you. And that is a word of blessing, not a word of cursing. There's no wisdom. There's no understanding. There is no counsel that will stand against God. There are many devices in the heart of a man, but the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Take your Bibles over to one, two more verses. Isaiah chapter number 8. Isaiah chapter number 8, notice what it says there. Why would God use the prophet Balaam? Isaiah 8 and verse number 8 and also verse number 9. Isaiah 8, 8 and 9. My thumbs aren't working, I'm sorry. 
Notice what it says here. It says, it says, associate yourselves, O ye people, verse number nine, I'm sorry. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces, and give ear, all ye far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Verse 10, take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. God is with us. Listen, the, the nations of this world can, can try to take counsel against the Lord's anointed. He's, the nations of this world can try to do what they want to, to stamp out God's people, but God's people will not be stamped out. God's people will not cease to exist. They've tried to do that with the Jews, and that didn't work. They've tried to do that with the Christians, and that didn't work. Read the book of Acts. They tried to kill all of them. They tried to arrest them. They tried to intimidate them. And they're still doing that all around the world. They're trying to intimidate Christians and they're trying to stamp out Christians. But listen, my friend, it won't be done. It cannot be done. The Word of God stands against the counsels of man. It doesn't matter what Balaam is. God allows for Balaam to be the prophet in this scenario to just simply prove the sovereign hand of God. To prove that man may try his very best to curse others, but God laughs at them. And instead of cursing them, he puts a blessing in their mouth. It's really a funny story when you think about it. I mean, just imagine uh, some uh, buddy uh, trying to curse you. And instead of cursing you, they just start blessing you. And blessing you. And telling you how good you are and how wonderful you are. And they're thinking to themselves, this is not what I want to say. This isn't what's wanting to come out of my mouth, but yet it's coming out of my mouth. God spoke through Balaam in order that he might demonstrate that he is God. And there's nobody that can speak against him. But also notice some other practical ways too. Think about it like this. Who did God use to speak through before he spake through Balaam. A donkey. One author said, it is no more difficult for Balaam to prophesy than for his donkey to speak. And that is exactly right. There is also this, there is a Bible precedent set for us in, in the book of Second Kings where the Assyrians come down and they begin to intermingle and live in the land of Jerusalem, in the land of Judea. And in doing so, they begin to be attacked by wild animals. And they go to a, uh, a, an Israelite and they're saying, why are we being attacked by wild animals? And they say, because you live in a holy land. And they say, okay, well, well then let's get holy, all right? Uh, find us a priest and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have us a priest of the lowest order, the Bible says. And they, so they say, the Bible says this, they feared God, they feared the Lord and served their own gods. They feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods. They had an intermingledness there. And God, you know what God did? He stopped sending wild animals in. Very odd situation, I know. Uh, think about Pharaoh's priest. See, Balaam, I'm pointing out to you that is this, is that Balaam is not the first instance of this. 
Pharaoh's priests recognize what? That all the plagues that says, he said, they said, this is from the finger of the Lord, Jehovah, God. The Philistines' priests knew that, uh, that, the, uh, that, the, that the Jehovah God needed sacrifices whenever they captured the Ark of God. You remember that? They offered sacrifices and then they sent the bullocks away and they, uh, they, they put the, the, the little golden mice inside of it in order that they might try to please Jehovah. And God did not kill them because they were Philistines and Gentiles and they didn't know any better. But whenever the Jews got the ark and they opened it up and they knew better, what did God do? He killed them. He cursed them. How did God allow for, Sam, or allow for Saul to speak to Samuel? Through what? A witch? That's just weird, isn't it? Weird stuff. Caiaphas prophesied of our salvation, though he was Jesus' most bitterest enemy. Think about Judas Iscariot. He preached the gospel. He did miracles. Even in Matthew chapter number 7, Jesus says all the way into the New Testament, what it, says, it says that many will say, what? Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful things? Have we not even done miracles in thy name? So this, this is not uncommon in the Scripture that God will allow even unregenerate, unsaved people to even allow them to do what God bids them to do and allows them to do it. It just shows to us that God is in control. God is in complete control of everything. Say, my life's a mess. It might be, but God's in control, all right? It's a controlled mess, okay? My life's just out of order, but it's a controlled out of order because God's in control. God's in complete and total control. God may speak through a donkey. He may speak through a false prophet, a real prophet. He came down from a voice from heaven. He, he may speak in any way or do anything that he would like to do. There's nothing too hard for God. Man may do and think he knows what he is doing. And he may try to do what he thinks is best. And he may think that I am outsmarting God. But there's nobody outsmarting God. Balaam is the ultimate example and illustration for us for that. Surely, even the wrath of man shall praise God. Psalm 76.10 says, The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Even man in his foolish wrath, that will even in somehow, some way, bring praise and glory to God. The prophecy of Balaam. Balaam shows to us that God is in complete control. We read for us in chapter number 22 in verses number 36 through 41, we see this uh, little team get together, Balak and Balaam. And I'm going to refer to them as an inferior team. Uh, Balak was so excited to see Balaam, he was looking forward to his 
coming there. He runs out to meet him in verse number 36. He even runs to the border town, border of Arnon in order to greet Balaam. He's begging him and he's asking him, why didn't you come earlier? He's earnest in his call. He offers up sacrifices in order that Balaam might be pleased, in order that Balaam might just go ahead and get to business. But I'll tell you right now is that it doesn't matter if hand join in hand, as the proverb says, though evils hand join in hand, they cannot defeat God. You have a great king, Balak. You have a great soothsayer, Balaam. I couldn't remember his name for a second. But yet these cannot defeat God. Do you realize that we might not hear of soothsayers and wizards and witches and all that still today, but you know they're still around? These aren't things that are relegated to the Old and New Testaments. There's still soothsayers, there's still wizards, there's still witches out there. And that stuff's wicked, my friend. We don't need to have any part of that kind of stuff. We don't need to have any part of that, as you might call it, the dark culture or the dark world or the dark side, as some people might call it. We don't need any, we don't need any, we don't need any of that. We need to stay away from that. We don't need any a part of the occult or the cult. We don't need to be finding out more information about that kind of stuff. There are some people out there that have, there are some pastors out there, there are some youth pastors out there, there are some uh, ministers of God out there that thought, you know what, I need, to find, I need to dig in deeper to this kind of stuff. Listen, my friend, that stuff right there is seductive. You don't need that stuff. You don't need to know every single thing there is to know about evil and ungodliness and the devil and all that is devil, the devil does. Because they are strong. They are strong. The Bible says that the devil is the prince and the power of the air. So they are strong. Balak and Balaam, they were a pretty strong team, if you will. A great king and a great soothsayer. One that had contact with somehow, some way with God, but also was able to bless and curse others. I don't understand it, okay? But he was able to do so. Listen, we don't need to be a part of something like that. That's an inferior team. That's the losing team. It's a seductive team. It's a team that looks good on the outside. It's a team that will try to draw you in with its different fanciful things. It will try to draw you in and say, hey, well, come and see this and come and do this. And this is to even to maybe not just to us that are older, but some of you that are younger. Just never, ever get involved with the wizardry, the witchcraft, all of the witch stuff, all of that stuff. It's going to promote devil. It's going to promote devil worship, and this is going to certainly be your downfall. There's a um, road over here off of 290. I just call it Wicked Road because there are several establishments on this one little stretch that are just wicked places. But in the one place, it is a place where they sell. Uh, witches' garbs and witch stuff and wizardry stuff. Listen, Christians have no business going in a store like that, visiting a place like that. Well, I just want to know what it's like. No, you don't need to know what it's like. Don't need to know what it's like. I don't need to visit a casino to know what they do there. Amen? Or any other wicked establishment. 
It was an inferior team. They were a strong team, but they were no match for God. Why? Because God is in complete control. Say it with me. God is in what? Complete control. They're an inferior team. But notice also, secondly, with me in verses 1 through 4, that they offer an inadequate offering. They bring to God and they bring uh, here, Balaam says unto Balak, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. Why these two? It's very interesting when you think about oxen and rams. These are the two most precious pieces of livestock that were available in that day. They still are even in our day. When you kill a cow, amen, that's a pretty big animal, Right? If I were to go out here and just kill a cow and then just burn it, what would you think about that? Go ahead. Would that be wasteful? <laughs> right? Would you be going, I could eat that, right? I mean, it's T-bone steaks out there, right? You know? Pastor, I know there's a thing to be said about barbecue, but you've taken it a little bit too far, Right? You know, I mean, it would be wasteful. We would think that was ludicrous. I mean, we would think that was, we would think that would be so price. I mean, think about how much money is being spent right there on, a, on one cow. Thousands of dollars right there. So they offered their best. They offered seven, a number of perfection. They offered what was perfect. They offered what was best. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balak said unto Balaam, Balak, Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go peradventure. The Lord will come to meet me. And whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went into a high place. They went to, first of all, they went to the altars of Baal. Because in verse number 41, the Bible says this, And he brought him up into the high places of Baal. It was an inadequate offering because they offered in the wrong way. It was a mingled offering. You remember one of the things that whenever Pharaoh and Moses and they were trying to uh, come to some kind of compromise on how to worship God? And when they were doing that, he told them, he said, just worship here in the land. Worship in the land. And he said, no, we've got to go to the wilderness. You see, the world always wants to make you have a compromise. Always wants to make you have a compromise. There's an event that I know of, and um, they encourage, it's a, it's a, it's a, if you will, kind of an ecumenical gathering of, of churches from all over the area come to meet at this one particular place and uh, certain times of the year, and they all worship together. And, and the idea sounds good. Let's just put down our differences for a little bit, and let's just in unity worship the Lord. But the problem is this, is that you're standing beside somebody that doesn't believe in the virgin birth of Mary. And on the other side, you're standing beside somebody that doesn't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That, there, that maybe there's some good works that might be to do. And you've got somebody behind you that believes that there is some meritorious favor from God and maybe getting baptized. Listen, I can't worship in a setting like that, my friend. That's compromised worship is what that is. 
I, you can't do that. How can I? Pr- I'm not praying to the same God as somebody that's praying to a God that doesn't believe in the virgin birth. I'm not praying to the same God. They're praying to a false Jesus. They're praying here, it's an inadequate offering because they're compromising. They're offering it unto Jehovah, but it's at the altars of Baal. I love whenever Elijah is offering up his offering. And they, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the prophets of Baal, they're offering up and offering up and they're trying to get God, the, their God to uh, send down fire from heaven. And of course, there's no such thing as the God of Baal. And so the fire never falls. And uh, the Bible says this in the next phrase. It says, and Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. He said, this is not fit for, for God's service. He said, I can't offer upon this thing here. There needs to be some repair work done. There needs to be some reframing. This needs to be different. This isn't Baal's altar. This is God's altar. And I'm going to make sure that it is God's altar. We don't worship at the, we don't compromise. Let us not compromise. If you do so, you'll be offering inadequate offerings. But also this is that, and we, I don't need to return to this very long, but let me just say it real quick, is that we all understand, and I've preached about this several times, it seems like over the last few weeks, is that we know that God does not accept the offerings of our, our offerings if we're not obedient to Him. If we're not practicing obedience, then God doesn't accept the offering. Balaam was not obedient to God. Therefore, the offerings are not accepted by God. You say, how do you know they weren't accepted? Because, they didn't, because God didn't do what Balaam wanted him to do. Balaam wanted him and Balak wanted him to curse the people of Israel. But God sent a blessing. There's an inferior team. There's an inadequate offering. But there's also an insolent word. There's a brazen word that comes out here from Balaam. And the brazen and solent word here is this. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. And this is what he said to him in verse number 7. He took up this this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. And here it is, verse 8. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom God hath not defied? Listen, if God has not cursed his people, others cannot curse God's people. If God has not cursed you, his child, then others cannot curse you. That ought to encourage us. God is in complete control, my friend. He's in complete control. The people of God should take great comfort in this very true words of even of this very real false prophet. This very real false prophet offers very true words for us tonight and they are simple. That we need to recognize that God will not allow cursing to come upon those that he has not cursed. No matter the power, no matter the sorcery, no matter the wealth, there is no counsel that stands against God as we've already said. We may speak boldly about our safety from the devil. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. 
We can speak boldly of that. If the devil himself were to conspire against you, Listen, we are in safety because we're in the hand of God. Jesus said what? That you're in my hand, you're in the fa- you're in my hand and you're in the Father's hand. You're in both hands tonight. There is no power or ability of sorcery that can take us out of God's plan or God's hands. Romans 8 and verse number 39. I don't need to take you there. In fact, just read the whole chapter. Amen. Nothing shall separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. If God has not cursed His people, then others cannot curse God's people. Secondly, it's an insolent word because it's a brazen word because He looks right at them and He's basically saying, listen, you want to curse them, but you can't curse them. God hasn't cursed them. Secondly, He tells them, He says, the nation of Israel is a singular nation. It's not a nation that's broken up. Balaam prophesied from a high place of Baal to view the utmost, to view it all right there. He did not know anything about them. He did not know their future. He did not know their plans. He did not know all the prophecies that God had already given beforehand. But by the word of the living God, the Bible says in verse number 9, From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. And lo, the people shall dwell alone. What does that mean? That means they're not going to have some king ruling over them. They don't need you, Balak, is what he's saying. They don't need you. They're going to dwell alone. They're going to have what we call national sovereignty. National sovereignty. Isn't it amazing that in 1948 God did that again? When the world thought it was impossible, right? That that the children, that the nation of Israel would become a nation. Yeah, they did. They did so. Listen, my friend, is that God fulfills his promises. Fulfills them. Their nation, their religion, I'm speaking of the Jews, their culture did not need to mix with other pagan religions in order to uh, boast itself or to improve itself or to be better or to be a more healthy nation. They weren't a melting pot, if you will. Listen, the Christian nation, Christians and churches are the exact same way. Peter tells us very plainly that you are a that you are a that you are a royal nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar doesn't mean you're weird, Alex. Okay, this means you're set apart. Listen, we don't need the government to make us better. We don't need that. The church doesn't need the government. The church doesn't need some outside resources. I'm glad, I'm really glad I was at Brother, I was at Alex's graduation and and Pastor Chapel brought this up. Is that I like, I'm glad that we're, that I'm, that I'm an independent Baptist. You say, why is that? It's because we're not dependent on outside resources. We're not dependent on a hierarchy to try to tell us how to do things. Or where to send our money, or where it goes, or what do you what do you need to do? We were just at the missions conference, and Pastor uh, Evans was talking about how he was a part of a, of a denomination at one time that that they gave the missions, but they never seen a missionary. 
Never even saw one, never even met one. He said, I never met a missionary till I became an independent Baptist and I was in my 40s. Never even met one. That's astounding to me to think about. I'm glad, I like being an independent Baptist. You know what that means? That we're free. We're free. And the Bible promotes that. Listen, the church, the churches are to be autonomous. Y'all know what that word means? Independent. Self-governing. Self-supporting. Self-propagating. I learned that in college. All right, so a new college would help somehow. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Israel, though, they were not governed by anybody else but God. Now, later on, they would demand for a king. There is no doubt about it. But still, even though they had kings over them, and though, the, though they had their kings, it was still very obvious there was still only one king, and that was God. And the church only has one king, and that is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God would make them a nation of singularity, but they would also make him them a great nation. For the Bible says in verse number 10, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part and number the fourth part of Israel. What it means is this, is that it's, a, it's kind of like a prophetic hyperbole. He's saying, he's saying the nation of Israel is going to be so big that you won't even be able to number a quarter of them. I mean, can you see Balak's face begin to drop, you know, as he's talking? I brought you out here to curse these folks, and now you're telling me they're going to be so great that we can't even count a 25% of them? They'd be as the dust of the earth, as he told, as he told Abraham. The camp of Israel would be, would be so great and so numerous that there would be nobody that would even be able to reckon them, to count them, to know how many there were, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. And finally, he tells them in this prophetic announcement that God would even bless them in their death. And this is something that Brother John touched on about the Czechs. Is that they're very superstitious about, their, about death. They don't even want to talk about death because they're afraid they might die. But you know what? Christians freely talk about death. We freely speak of it. For he says here at the end of verse number 10, he says, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Balaam is kind of maybe going out on a limb there, I believe, a little bit and saying, man, I hope that I can be like they are. Die the death of the righteous. My last end shall be better, shall be like his. The point being is simple, is that the end of my life, the death of my life is better than the living of my life. And really that is what is true for the Christian. For the Christian, when we die, it is then better. When we die, things are greater. When we die, we've got new bodies. Amen? When we die, there's no more disease. When we die, there's no more sickness. When we die, there's no more even death. Amen? Because we don't even experience what's called the second death. There are two deaths. There is the first death that we all will experience unless we go by the way of the rapture. But if we don't go by that way, then we will all experience the first death. 
We'll all die physically. But if you're saved, you'll not experience the second death. Amen? The second death is eternal hell. Death forever. And God would not have that upon anybody. He would want all to be saved. You don't need to experience a second death. Job and David and all of the saints knew that their bodies would be with God and that their lives would be hidden in Jesus after they died. They understood that. That's always been a teaching of even the Old Testament saints. Look at even in your New Testament in Matthew 17. Who do you see on the Mount of Transfiguration? But what? But who? Moses and I. Who? Elijah. What does that tell us? It tells us this, is that after they have died, is that they are with God. And you and I that we are, that, we are, that are saved, is that our end will be, be, be better than it is right now. No matter the situation that is happening here upon this world, the future for the children of God trumps everything. That's what he's saying about this nation of Israel. Saying this could happen to them or that could happen to them or whatever situation it might be. But listen, in the end of it all, Balak, God is in total and complete control. You can't outsmart God. You can't get one over on God. Alex said this morning, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? (laughs) Nothing's ever occurred to God. You're not getting one over on Him. You're not getting out of something. You're 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 not sneaking around so that He can't see you. God sees everything. He knows everything. He sees everything. And He's in complete control over everything. Even devil-worshipping soothsayers that want to curse people in order that they might receive filthy gain because of it. No. He says, not even you, Balaam, can do that. I'm in control. And our government can do what they want to. And the United Nations can do what they want to do. And this world can do what they want to do. But listen, God is in control. Complete control. Total control. I'm all for the environment. I'm all for planting a tree. I'm all for trying to do those kinds of things. But listen, our best efforts, our best efforts, there, there's, there's, there is, global warming's coming. God says He's going to scorch the earth. He's going to try the earth by fire. He said, I did it once with a flood, the next time I'm doing it with fire. Okay? Listen, you know, in a way, yeah, I kind of agree with the scientists. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's coming. Not in the way that you think it's coming. But let us, none of us, be so foolish. Let us, let us protect what God's given to us. Let us help what God's given to us. Let us not, let us not, let us obey the laws of the land. Amen. But let us never ever be so foolish to think that we can control the earth. That we can control the, 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 the ice caps. 
that we can control the levels of the sea. God says in His Word, He says, He says, I tell the waves where to stop and where to go. I tell them. I tell the wind where to blow and where not to blow. I tell the rain where to rain and not to rain. I do that. I hold, I've got the frost up in, up in heaven in store and I put it down where I want to put it down. God's in control, my friend, of everything. So the next time that you get a little bit out of shape, the next time that uh, something comes in your life that is out of your control, out of your control, then why don't you just remember that God is in complete control and rest in Him. Father, we're thankful for the Word. And we pray that, Father, we will look to You, honor You, and serve You. And that, God, we will rest in Your complete control. Amen. God bless you.